This is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Um, Lord of hosts, you are holy. You're a holy God completely set apart, righteous in all your ways, wonderful, truly wonderful. And Lord, we are unclean. We are a people of unclean lips. We confess where we have fallen remarkably short of your glorious standard. And Lord, we cannot enter into this time of worship without acknowledging that we have a debt, a sin debt that demands punishment, death. But you have been a good God to bridge the gap. Thank you for the gospel, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can have our sins forgiven because of what you've done for us and your steadfast love towards us. Thank you that you call all to come to you as a good God who loves his people. And so, God, we just want to lean in tonight. We want to worship you for who you are and what you've done for us, to acknowledge that you are a holy God and you have a purpose for our lives. And you're asking the question who will I send? Who will go? Lord, help us change the posture of our hearts to be that that leans in to that calling. Bless us as we continue to worship you tonight, as we hear from your word, hear directly from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> well, our man of the hour needs no introduction. Um, I've had the privilege of working with Aussie Way this past year, and if you didn't uh, get my email or you didn't read my email, um, you uh, don't know that Aussie is actually transitioning to another part of the church. He's staying at Bellevue, praise the Lord, because uh, his work is not done yet. Um, <clears throat> but uh, he will be uh, transitioning to a different department that really concentrates on the areas of discipleship, evangelism, and prayer. And if you know Ozzy Way, you know that he has a heart for discipleship, to see people made more into the image of Jesus. And 
uh, I'm really excited for Ozzy to have this opportunity to work in another ministry of our church because, uh, and you could probably share with me in this, if anybody can influence their way upward, it's Ozzy Way. Uh, he has shown that here in the Young Adults Ministry. Um, I think about over the last year of uh, when he first got here last May, um, I didn't have a lot of teaching opportunities to offer him because we went into the summer. So there was a season of waiting. Uh, but then on the other side of that, we, we kind of saw him grow in some ways of teaching. Uh, first, this humble little cohort at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and then to a whole class in the spring semester of spiritual formation, many of uh, whom, uh, many of you were in that. Uh, that class. And so we've seen you grow over the last year. I want you to know I'm really proud of you, proud of you and excited to hear uh, you preach God's word. And uh, so I'll hand it over to you. Would you give it up for Ozzy Way? Well, I appreciate the uh, warm introduction. It really is my joy to be here with you guys. Um, when I sensed that the Lord was calling me to Memphis, uh, I was very confused. You know, why, why there? <laughs> Tennessee? <laughs> I come from Maryland. I don't have anything to, to talk about. Last year around this time, I actually got to share my story with you all. We had a little, um, I guess, talk show style, reality TV sort of deal going up up here uh, with Pastor Cross talking me through how I ended up here, my call to ministry, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and if you remember my story or if you haven't uh, heard my story before, I'm going to share a little about that tonight. But you'll know that I never saw myself going into ministry. And it still blows my mind that I'm even considering that. When I was a kid, I had these stereotypical childhood dreams. I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to play video games for a living. Right? I wanted to do all that good stuff. And as I made my way through middle school and high school, well, reality started to hit me. And I had to start getting more realistic with my aspirations. So I said, maybe music. I could do music for a career, right? I've been playing drums for a couple of years now. I'm going to look into that. And before I went to college at Liberty University, I made one more decision to switch. And I said, maybe I want to counsel people for the rest of my life. So I studied my way up. I was earning my way towards my licensure. Then on February 6th, 2019, it's when the Lord started penning my story. And if we know the Lord... I mean, we know that he's actually been penning our story this whole time. My spirit just finally caught up with it. It was a redirecting of my life. People were telling me, you need to be a pastoral counselor. You need to be a pastor. You need to be a Bible teacher. You need to go to seminary and get a well-rounded theological education. I see you in this, Ozzy. About 20 or 25 people in my life whom I very much respect all agreed on that. And it was then when I accepted the opportunity here in accepting the call to full-time ministry. So tonight's sermon title is Threshing God's Calling. Note the beautiful picture of wheat in the background. We'll get into that soon. But hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Judges. We're going to be in the Old Testament tonight. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. While you're turning there, I know it can be a hard book to find, I want you to remember the importance of context. Whenever we're studying a biblical passage, and it's a good life principle just to, to have under your belt, context is key. Right? That's true for God's word and that's true for life. Because if we don't grasp the context of our passage for tonight, 
we're going to misinterpret the passage. And if we misinterpret the passage, we're going to misapply the passage. The importance of context. What we see thus far, before getting to our passage tonight, is a God who desires to redeem his people. There is a God from all these books leading up to Judges that has been noted to love his people and want to restore this broken relationship. Where did that broken relationship come from? It came from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve took the advice of the serpent, ate of the fruit, and sinned against God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The story doesn't end there. We see God create a covenant with Abraham. We go on to Moses, the Exodus, where the Israelites walked through the water. Get to the Ten Commandments, the appointing of Joshua as leader. Not only the parting of the Red Sea, but also now the parting of the Jordan River. Now they are entering into the promised land, or Canaan. And then we see God give Canaan to his people. The period of Judges follows the conquest or the taking over of that promised land. And if you are familiar with what the promised land is exactly, well, it was God's selection of territory where he would form a people for himself. And that group of people would redeem the world for his glory. As we're diving into our passage in Judges, it's also important to clarify that judge here is not referring to the judges we typically see. Uh, like when we're trying to get out of a ticket or we're watching Judge Judy. It's, it's nothing like that. Judges in the Bible refers to military leaders. I want you to get that in your minds. Military leaders. Why did God raise up military leaders? Well, the people had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and they needed to be disciplined. As a result of their desire to worship other gods, breaking both the first and second commandments of the Ten Commandments, they needed to learn. And they were typically handed over to an enemy nation. Look at what Judges 2.16 says. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Also, it's good to note that in the book of Judges, we have a cycle. A cycle that's often repeated throughout the book and in our own lives today. This cycle is one of sin, oppression, cry, then deliverance. Sin, oppression, cry, and deliverance. The people would sin by creating an idol, worshiping their own gods. They'd be oppressed as a result. They'd go through hardship. They'd be under enemy captivity. And because they didn't really like that, they'd cry out to God. We need help. We need someone to save us. We need food. Things aren't going well. God, you deliver us out of Egypt. We need that same deliverance now. And because God is a faithful God, he would deliver them time and time again. Judges 2.17 says, Yet they did not listen to their judges. For they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. The good news for you and I is the promised land is not the end of the story. God didn't just give them this land and tell them to have fun. 
There's more to it. Gideon is one of many judges in this book. Another judge that a lot of us are familiar with is Samson. Samson was a Nazarite who, when his hair grew long, he would grow stronger. But due to the manipulation abilities of a girl named Delilah, Samson caved and told her his secret. Samson's head was shaved and he lost all his strength. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord left him. So Gideon is also one of these judges, one of these military leaders. And right now, Israel is under Midianite captivity. The Midianites were their local enemies. They're under captivity. But again, as we see in the cycle, God is faithful to deliver his people. And he chooses Gideon for that mission. Judges 2.18, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. So now that we have the context, we can faithfully study and apply this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this night. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather here as young adults and we can just study your word. We can hear from you. We can be ministered to by the Holy Spirit. We can fellowship. And God, we give you all the praise and glory for that. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit in this room tonight. And we ask that my words would not be remembered, but that your word would be faithfully taught tonight. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you read with me in Judges 6, verses 11 through 18? Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. This passage teaches us five things about God's calling. The first thing it teaches us is God's calling can occur at any moment. God's calling can occur at any moment. Verse 11 says this, 
Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now to remove any confusion, I want to clarify that the author uses two different phrases or words to describe the Lord here. The first one is the angel of the Lord. And then about halfway, he changes it to the Lord. So there's a little interchange there. There's no reason, though, that we shouldn't believe that it's the Lord himself calling Gideon. Right? Gideon understands that the Lord is calling him. The second important thing we need to note is that Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. In your typical scenario, wheat would be threshed on a mountaintop or out in the open somewhere where once the wheat was threshed, the wind would separate the wheat from the chaff. And we actually have a video here in which we can illustrate that. Yeah, I just wanted you all to see the dog. Uh, <laughs> that's why I put it in there. But no, so see these farmers, they're throwing the wheat in the air and the wind is separating the wheat from the chaff. Gideon was in the wine press, scripture notes, which is a sunken location. So what is he doing there? Well, he's hiding from the Midianites. What would happen is the Midianites during harvest season would come and plunder the Israelites so they wouldn't have any food. So out of fear, Gideon said, well, if I'm not going to thresh wheat out in the open, I'm going to go ahead and thresh wheat in the wine press. When I was little, my mom hired a reading tutor for me. Biggest nightmare of my life. One day, I wasn't feeling it. I didn't want to go through the lesson. I was tired of Miss, I don't know her name anymore. <laughs> but she was coming and approaching our house, and I started to run. So I ran down into our basement. Actually, on the way to the basement, tripped, fell, and rolled down the stairs. Now I have a bruise under my eye, and I just hid in the bathroom because I was scared. Scared of my reading tutor. Now, I wasn't as smart or sneaky as I thought I was. My mom knew where I was going. Sent the little reading tutor after me, and she ended up talking me out of hiding, and we got the session done, and life moved on as normal. But Gideon was fearful of the Midianites, so he hid. In the depths of a wine press where Gideon was not supposed to be, God appeared to him. God sought out Gideon. I don't want you to miss that progression. God sought out Gideon in a pretty calming manner too. Right? The, it says the angel of the Lord came and sat under a tree. Kind of like you guys are all sitting now, just coming to hang out. Let's chat for a while. The reality is God is omnipresent. Right? There's no place in this world that's out of bounds for us from him. We can't ever shield ourselves from a place where God cannot reach us or speak to us or appear to us. Don't ever believe that your circumstances are too common or so unspiritual that you think you have to come up with the spiritual high in order to hear from God. This is God's world. He created us. He knows how we operate. He knows how to speak to us. Don't count God out. I'm sure the last place Gideon or any of the Israelites thought God would appear to anybody would be at the bottom of a wine press. 
And scripture notes that God appeared to him there. God can use anything to minister to you because he is sovereign over everything. God's sovereignty is one of his attributes. God can use anything to minister to you because he is sovereign over everything. God's call can occur at any moment. God's calling is also your strength. God's calling is your strength. Look at what verse 12 says. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This is kind of a strange incident because God calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. A man right now known for fear, a man who is hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press. God says, that is a mighty man of valor. God's perspective of Gideon changes the point of the story. It changes how the story is supposed to be interpreted. It's because God is calling Gideon. It's because God is with Gideon that Gideon has any sort of significance. And where there's a call, there's a plan. Where there's a call, there's a plan. God had something in mind. God was up to something, and he wanted Gideon for the job. The story of Gideon is not about how special Gideon is. The story of Gideon is not about what he ended up doing. The story of Gideon is in a lot of ways not even about us. It's about God. Gideon was merely the vessel used to bring about God's purposes, where God's glory and strength would be revealed. Look at what Jeremiah 10.23 tells us about our lives. It says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. We are God's. We are not our own, even though our world tells us we are. This theme is continued in the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Remember, context is key. That's true for God's word, and that's true for this world, this life. God is the subject of Scripture. God is also the subject of this life. It's his plan. It's his story. And we're nothing apart from him. It's not about what you or I can or cannot do. It's about God through us. Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. One more scripture, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God does not call you because you can do it. He calls you because he can is there something in your life that you sense a call to that you are running from out of fear? I don't have the finances. I don't know where I'm going to live. 
I'm going to lose all my friends. I'm going to lose this really good paying job. I don't even know how to do that. Is there a calling that God has placed on your life that you're running from, like Gideon? The beauty of God's calling is that it's not something you can mess up because he's the one behind it all in the first place. He's the one orchestrating it. He just needs your yes on the table. And he can work with that. And if you're obedient, you cannot lose. If you're obedient, you cannot lose. God's calling is your strength. Aren't you glad that God doesn't always see us the way we see ourselves? God's calling can occur at any moment. God's calling is your strength. God's calling also may not make sense to us. Look at what it says in verses 13 and 14. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? According to Gideon, the circumstances were completely against the possibility of God's favor being upon his people. We are under captivity. The Midianites are taking all our wheat. And you're saying God's favor is with us? God says, go in this might of yours. It's not that Gideon was strong enough, but God wanted to use what Gideon had. Do not I send you, says the Lord. There we see the theme again. God is calling Gideon. And what he desires is Gideon's obedience. And with Gideon's obedience in cooperation with the sovereignty of God, the work could be completed. There's a story uh, from a pastor professor named Mark Yarbrough. And this actually comes from his well-known book, How to Read a Bible Like a Seminary Professor. The story goes something like this. Mark and his young son were going tubing on a ski slope. And as they were getting ready to ride down together, a skier rides by, crashes, and is lying there injured. Now, I want you all to picture this because nobody else was around them. They are on top of this mountain, and it's just them two and the skier who is now crying for help. Mark doesn't know what to do other than he needs to act fast. But he couldn't tend to the skier and leave his child alone. Nor could he go down with his child and leave the skier alone. So what he does next is crazy. Mark prepares his son to go down the slope by himself. And now this kid is all confused because he doesn't know what's going on. He just wants to go down the ride or whatever it is. But as he could sense his daddy getting more serious, he looks him in the eye and says, I trust you, daddy. How many of us children of God need to trust him? We may not understand why, what it's going to look like, why it has to be a certain way, and why it couldn't be another way. But we have to trust him. 
We have to trust and obey him. We have to move past this idea of a perfect and glamorous calling. That probably will not happen. I'm not saying it can't happen. I am saying consider this. Maybe we've distorted what God's call is like. Maybe we're dreaming a little bit too much. It's been said that a God fully understood is no God at all. We want to know everything about everything because when we know, we feel in control. When we know things, we feel in control. Life is good when you know stuff, but it's in moments of uncertainty that our faith is tested. God's calling may not make sense at the moment, but in hindsight, you see the work of God that has been carrying you all along. Trust and obey. That's what it comes down to. We shouldn't be trying to force our own story. We also shouldn't be at home idle waiting for God to knock on our door and tell us our next step. It's both. It requires faith. It requires us to trust him. It requires obedience. So many times we're going to be like, what God? No way. Why couldn't it have been this way? Isn't this the obvious choice? You're making this way more difficult than it needs to be. These are the same questions I would ask when I was thinking about moving over here. Why Bellevue? It's a great church, but at the time, I was like, I, I have all my friends here in Virginia and Maryland. Why am I driving 10, 12 hours across the country to serve this church? But I can say, and I'm sure many of you all in this room can attest to as well, that God is faithful. And we can look back in our lives and see that he has been a good God all along. And I'm happy to be here with you guys tonight. God's calling may not always make sense because we're not the ones in control. He is. Fourth thing God's calling is like that we can learn from this passage is that it's not reserved for the qualified. God's calling is not solely reserved for the qualified. Gideon is sure that God has the wrong guy. Let's read what he says in verse 15. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Look at me. How am I supposed to save Israel? Not only am I the worst in my clan, I'm also the worst in my father's house. I am the least of the least. God looks beyond human standards. He does not call us when we are good enough. God's call is the qualification. A weak person with God is more powerful than a strong person without. God is not called the qualified. The called have been qualified because God is with them. Again, I'm going to ask you, is there a calling that's been placed on your life that you've been running from, that you're fearful of? Maybe you're called to ministry full-time or bivocationally. Maybe you feel like you need to switch jobs and get under new leadership, work with some new coworkers. Maybe it's sharing the gospel with your neighbors 
even though you know it'll cost you your reputation or even your life. But again, if God calls you, you cannot lose. God calls you, you cannot lose. It's not about how weak you see yourself, but what God sees he can do through you. And the reality is, you are immortal until God is done with you. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's calling can occur at any moment. God's calling is our strength. God's calling may not make sense to us. God's calling is not reserved for the qualified. And lastly, God's calling guarantees his presence. Look at what verse 16 through 18 says. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my presence and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. But I will be with you. That's all that's required. Gideon was selected for Operation Defeat the Midianites. And Gideon is almost convinced. Almost. He's not yet fully convinced. In these last verses, we see Gideon request a sign that it's truly God who's calling him. And the Lord says, I will stay till you return. The patience of the Lord, the confidence the Lord has in using Gideon. He was willing to stick around for whatever Gideon wanted to bring. Gideon would go on to see for himself that this truly was the Lord who was calling him. And the story would continue on like this. Gideon would continue to test God out of his skepticism. He took a fleece, brought it outside his front yard, and said, all right, God, overnight, I want the fleece to remain dry, and I want the ground around it to be completely wet. Gideon wakes up, walks outside, sees that it is so. Gideon is still skeptical. God, this is for real. I want the ground to be completely wet. Sorry, other way around. I want the fleece to be dry and the ground around to be wet. Did I already say that? I'm getting it mixed up now. You guys get my point. I'll tell you, when I practiced this, I got it right. Point is, God would come through because he was serious about calling Gideon. He wasn't kidding around. The story of Gideon ends like this. This is Judges 7, verses 19 through 23. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They, left, they held in their hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. 
They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bethshida towards Zerera, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Gideon. All glory to God. The story of Gideon is not about what Gideon did, but what God can do through the obedience of one of his chosen ones. The Lord's people were saved from the hands of the Midianites. If God has called you, you can trust it. Don't be so caught up in what you can or can't do. It isn't you who's doing it anyway. So that's Gideon's story. But what does God's calling look like today? Is it different? Does he appear to us in the same way? I'm sure most, if not all of us in this room tonight would say, I'd follow God's calling. If he would just show me what it is, I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been journaling, I've been talking to people, and God is not just speaking to me. I would love to follow God's calling. I just don't know what it is. Here's the thing, though. We have a deeper issue. We want to know God's calling because we don't like what he has called us to now. We have a heart issue. While we are focusing on what we want, God is focused on who we're becoming. The issue is not with what God hasn't revealed to us. We find issue with what God has already revealed to us. The here and now. Think about the current circumstances of your life. This isn't some waiting period that God has assigned you. It's the very call. And this may confuse us a little bit because we have these distorted images in our mind that God's going to spell out our calling in the sky. Or there has to be some magical revelation for it to truly be God's call. Otherwise, it was just a feeling. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Trust and obey what God has already put before you. That'll keep you busy. That'll keep you occupied. And when God wants to intervene in some large fashion, as he so desires, you won't miss it. You won't miss it. Today, instead of one man leading a nation on to victory, a man has defeated sin for good. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus was a man from Nazareth. Nazareth was a city on a hill. And scripture notes that people doubted anything good could come from Nazareth. When I went to Israel, I actually got to walk the streets of Nazareth. It really is just a village on an incline. There's nothing good there. I think I got like a little snow globe. That was about it. Notice the similarity, though, between Gideon and Jesus. A man from the tribe of Manasseh is going to come and save us. A man from Nazareth is going to come save us. Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection 
has defeated Satan and the evil forces for good. And today, instead of the Lord just appearing to Gideon, he's appeared to the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He appeared to the world, and the accounts of that are in Scripture. And that's our faith today. He's called all of us to him and to make disciples of all nations. At this time, I want to invite the band back up. And we're going to have some friends over here to the side by the garage door in the prayer jars who love to pray with you, listen to you, hear your story, help you chew through what God may be calling you to. And as we close out tonight, I want to remind you, God's calling can be fearful sometimes. God's calling may even seem humorous to us. But here's the thing. It's not a matter of who God is calling, but that God is calling. And obeying God's calling may seem challenging, impossible, even questionable. But the question I have for us tonight is this. What's the alternative to obeying God's call? Threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press? Good luck. Do not let fear deter you from the fullness of life God has for you. Trust and obey. That's all you need to do. And if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ and haven't believed savingly on what he did for you, God's calling for you tonight is to give your life to him. That's his calling for you. We cannot blame God for not moving in our lives when we stand there idly. We all want to see revival, right? Until God says, I want to begin in you. Deep down inside, I know that we all know that he's worth trusting.